Welcome to the Church Intention Podcast, powered by the King's University and Gateway Church. This is a place to have healthy conversations about areas of tension in the church and the intentions of the church. To dive deeper into the conversation and for more content, visit churchintention.com. Now let's join the King's University president, Dr. John Chastine, for this episode of Church Intention. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, the the Church Intention uh, listeners. We love you. We thank you for uh, following the podcast. If you haven't already done so, please take a minute and give us a review. Give us a like, and uh, we would love to connect with you online. Today, I have a guest with me, but I have two guests with me. The first one's really not a guest. I love when I can uh, to bring on faculty or people from the team uh, from here at the King's University. And today we have one of our faculty members, uh, Dr. Cassie Reed. She has been with us before as a guest on the show. Today she's going to kind of help me interview our guest. Uh, but doc- Dr. Reed is the director of the Marriage and Family uh, Therapy Program here at the King's University. And she is just an amazing woman. Uh, we're so lucky to have her on our team. Cassie, we're really excited you're with us today. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So today's guest is um, somebody that I, I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with. The topic is one that I am obsessed with, and I cannot wait um, to unpack some of this with him. Dr. Chuck DeGroat is a professor of pastoral care and Christian spirituality at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan. And he's an author, speaker, consultant, therapist, uh, Chuck is married to Sarah and has two teenage daughters. He's an author of five books, include, including his most recent book that came out this year, the one we're going to be talking about today, called When Narcissism Comes to Church. Chuck, we're really, really honored that you're joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Well, I don't want to waste any time, Chuck. I want to jump right into this conversation. I really want to start with just the basics because I'm assuming people out there have heard the word narcissist or narcissism, but they may not be able to really articulate what that means. Can we just start by you telling us what is narcissism? Yeah, sure. Well, so when we talk about narcissism, we we often, uh, well, clinicians often, therapists often go to a big, thick book called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Personality Disorders. And um, that book, gives a definition that is a lot longer than the one I'll give you, but a, a couple of highlights. Uh, one aspect of narcissism that we see is uh, grandiosity, uh, grandiose personality. Another one that we see is a sense of entitlement. Another aspect or attribute that we see is low empathy. In other words, low capacity to understand or feel or experience what's going on in another, another person's experience or emotions. And then along with that, we, we often get uh, what they call impairments in uh, relationships, vocation, work. In other words, your relationships, uh, your life at work might just be kind of chaotic. There may be some problems. And so when we, when we add those things up, and now I'm talking very practically uh, and ripping off of the DSM, uh, that's what we get are those, those kinds of basic attributes. Do you see, you know, we're going to get to the ministry part of it specifically in a minute, but do you see it to where, is that something that is, um, happens over time? Uh, if let's, yeah. let's, let's talk about a pastor, you know, could they start out as a healthy 
you know, mental, mental health, emotional health, everything's really great. And then does it progress into this or is it something that's a kind of a part of you from your whole personality for your whole life? Yeah. Well, I, I like to say that it's not a binary. It's not a, either you have it or you don't. Okay. There's more of a spectrum. Hmm. And even with the testing and assessment work that I do, I, I use a particular uh, test that tests people along a spectrum. And so that's important to say that, um, you know, there, there, there are attributes of narcissism that I think I have. Yeah. Um, you don't write books and get up and speak if you don't have a little bit of narcissism <laughs> in you. But there's a, there's a pathological side to this that we, we can get at. Now, um, I think when we're talking about personality disorders, uh, it's a little bit mysterious. It's kind of a nature and nurture thing. But we, mm-hmm. what we do know, and what I know from my own work, uh, is that if and when I do get down to some core experiences of someone with narcissistic personality disorder, more than likely, I will find that, you know, in early stages of their life, six, seven, eight years old, there is some mm-hmm. kind of experience of being bullied mm-hmm. or made to feel small or marginalized mm-hmm. or something like that. And um, not consciously, but very sort of sub and unconsciously, they develop coping mechanisms, defense mechanisms, almost like a, a wall or an mm. armor that they put up. Like, I will not let the world get me. Wow. And, you know, then by the time you're 35, 40, 45 years old, this is solidified. This is rock solid yeah. armor that defends you against uh, anyone who dares uh, maybe challenge you in a way or um, push back in a conversation. Yeah. And so and if you uh, get it really into, rooted in it. Yeah, and if, yeah, you, if you get into in a position of authority of any kind, um, you're really set up to to really operate in that in that condition. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think one of one of the things that I love, I mean, just about that that you're bringing to the surface that a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to narcissism, but specifically, like when you think about pastors of the spectrum, is just the insecurity that really lies at the very root. Of, of why they build that defense mechanism. I'd love for you to speak to that if you have anything you'd like to share yeah. on that side. Yeah, that's a really important word, insecurity, right? Um, there, there are other words that we could put around it, even shame, um, mm-hmm. some fundamental sense of deficiency. Um, and, and that's kind of the underneath experience of someone who's narcissistic, like a, a fear of vulnerability, a fear of being exposed. And, and so even though the narcissistic pastor, for instance, comes off strong, powerful, secure, uh, yeah, Cassie, as you're saying, deeply insecure, fearful, anxious. Um, and and uh, so that, that's where in this conversation, I think uh, I can get in trouble sometimes because I, I want to point out the humanity, even of the narcissist, that underneath mm-hmm. the bullying is someone who is probably bullied probably someone who's really hurt and deeply ashamed yeah that's really good i you know there's a couple times in your book you mentioned something that i i had to i'm i listen to the book i like audiobooks and i rewound it uh probably three two or three times to re-listen to it um a few times in your book you mentioned that narcissists have in quote longing to be free from longing and can you unpack that a little bit like what Tell our listeners what that means, a longing to be free from longing. Yeah, that that actually goes back to an early work on narcissism that I read many, many years ago. And I didn't quite know what that meant for a long time. 
Uh, it was one of those quotes that I sat with. And I, I think probably a combination of maybe reading uh, some St. Augustine and C.S. Lewis, you know, theologians mm-hmm. of longing, yeah. talk about this God ingrained sort of restlessness. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, oh God, you know, this longing for God. That somehow, some way, the narcissist cuts himself off from that longing. Mm. He doesn't want to wait expectantly. He doesn't want to open his hands. He wants to control. He wants to have it now. He he wants to defy his own limitations. And, you know, if you long, there's a recognition that there are limitations in life, that we've got to wait, that we can't have it in our own timing sometimes, that I'm not in control. And the narcissist tries to defy that. I am in control. Mm. I am unlimited. That's so good. That's so good. So, you know, I have to ask, what inspired you to write this book, Chuck? Of all the topics, of all the things, was it a yeah. was it an experience? Did you witness something? Yeah. Was it just witnessing something from yeah. afar? What sparked it? Yeah, well, I often say that this this is the least fun book to write. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> no I, kidding. Before, before this, I wrote a book called Wholeheartedness that was, you know, that was, I, it was a really fun and beautiful book to write. This one was hard. Uh, the short story is that it was inspired by uh, some pastors who challenged me to write it, who wanted a resource. Wow. Uh, the longer story, um, and, and I'll keep this short too, just oh, for me, it goes back to seminary and uh, in the mid-1990s. And, and what I would say is being caught in my own arrogance and dogmatism by my own counseling professor who uh who called me out and, and invited me to a new way of living, humility. And uh, and I went on a journey, and that journey led me into pastoral ministry and therapy. And uh, it was in those first years of ministry that I began to see uh, men in particular in leadership positions, positions of power, elders, um, ministers, who, who were showing up narcissistically. So I had a special sort of eye for it, I think, in part because I— I think I was wrestling with my own way of showing up in the world. Wow. Yeah. Cassie, don't, so don't hesitate to interrupt me. I've got like 4 million questions cause I just love this topic. Well, so I, never, I never to, hesitate to jump in. <laughs> no, I did. I did kind of have a question in that regard, just because one of my passions and, and interests is helping those in pastoral ministry seek out counseling and find a place to be healthy and to bleed and to, you know, cause a lot of those people don't have a, a spot mm-hmm. where they feel safe to, to yeah. like let it all out, you know? Yep. Yeah. So I think my question for you is how can we turn that ship in a sense in the world where it's yeah. been seen a lot of times, like we have all the answers, we don't need help. We're the source of help. Yeah. But in reality, you, you and I both know, and a lot of other people too, as you see them, they're hurting, they're insecure, they're wounding people. And so yeah. um, I would love to hear your opinion or thoughts on how we can help that be better. Yeah, that's such a good question. And and it feels like, on the one hand, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think about this now as an ex-pastor and seminary educator. You know, what can we do in training? But the reality is, is that a lot of pastors nowadays are bypassing training programs and going straight mm-hmm. into ministry. And, and, uh, and a part of what I've tried to do over the years is to cultivate a conversation that uh, that invites pastors to see that they have needs too. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that who get into pastoring, um, 
are achievers, they're helpers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're often disconnected from their own pain, their own needs, their own story. Um, and so a large part of what I've tried to do over the years is to say, hey, you, you must be exhausted, anxious, or overwhelmed, or you're, you're involved in so many things and helping so many people. And I think the conversation is changing. I, I wonder what you think about this too, Kathy. If you work in this area, are you seeing the conversation change? Because I, I think I'm beginning to see, and now with COVID too, pastors mm-hmm. sort of come out of the woodwork and say, mm-hmm. I don't have it all together. I'm mm-hmm. hurting. Yeah. yeah, I definitely have seen the shift. And I think it's more now putting, I guess, making it easier or making it more commonplace for them. And I'm hearing more and more. I had a pastor friend um, say to me that his goal is now not to have the biggest church, but to have the highest emotional quotient of any pastor in America. And I was like, I could do a cartwheel. That's amazing. (laughs) Like just to hear a pastor say that. And it's like to have more pastors say that if I could be emotionally healthy, because that will trickle down, you know, if they are healthy. Yeah. And so it's, I think, um, is making it accessible, making it something that's a bit easier for them. Because I think sometimes the thought of just finding someone can be daunting. You know, where do I yeah. even go to, to talk about this or that's safe? But No, it's really yeah. good. I, I, feel yeah. like, I feel like I'm a... I feel like I'm on a couch talking to two therapists and I just need to get, you know, maybe, maybe I need, I, you guys aren't going to charge me for this, right? Like I can, um, no, I, you know, (laughs) tell us how you feel about that, John. I think, um, you know, I'm in a interesting position as a leader where I'm serving as a, a, I'm still a lead pastor at a, at a, what is considered a mega church. And then I'm also Mm. the president of the King's university and a seminary. And so I have a very similar passion to what you spoke about, Chuck, about we're training the next generation of pastors and leaders at, at these seminaries. Yeah. And, you know, then as a pastor, I'm obviously friends with a lot of other pastors and I know the pain and the hurt and the issues that the pastors face. And, you know, when I started reading this book, I did it more to say, yeah, you know, I know a couple of narcissists. I need to learn about them. And the more I read your book, the more I realized mm-hmm. there's a narcissist in all of us. And, yeah. and I began to take your book more, less about me listening to it, to, to point at other people. And I began to find elements of the finger pointing back at me. And so I really began to see some early stages potentially of things that could be in me that I don't want to be there. And so I think it's, it's really, um, I think what I see in it, and I'd love you to speak to this is to, to come to the spiritual side of this and, it really is an amazing weapon that the enemy uses because it's de- mm-hmm. it's deceptive like and that's that's what makes it such a good weapon is because it's you know we know the enemy is the deceiver and when it comes to deception you don't know what you don't know and so there was i i think we could all look and find narcissistic tendencies in all of us and so the question becomes what are the signs that i should look for in myself you know we're always we we're pretty good at diagnosing other people, whether we you know whether we're right or not is you know remains yeah. to be seen. But we're terrible at diagnosing ourselves. And what are some of those warning signs, Chuck? How do I see things in me that are the beginnings of narcissistic stages or tendencies? Wow, that's a good question. And um, I'm again, on the couch, yeah, but don't charge me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about you, John. Uh, I, 
I think, you know, I, I get at this by going back to the, the original story, you know, of a, um, of a, of a serpent, of a tempter, um, uh, slithering up to Adam and Eve with a question, you know, it's like, sure, surely God didn't tell you that you can't eat from that mm-hmm. tree. Raising mm-hmm. questions for them about God's goodness, raising questions about them, uh, to them about, uh, the reality that God will satisfy them, come through for them, um, about God's love for them. And I think that every narcissistic journey, you might say, begins with that question. Is there something wrong with me? Is there something missing wow. that I've got to find outside of mm-hmm. outside of Eden, you might say, you know, outside mm-hmm. of God's grace mm-hmm. and God's goodness? And, and, and we're reaching. I think we're continually and perpetually, I mean, I'm continu- continually and perpetually reaching. Yeah. For that thing, you yeah. know, it, at a fundamental level, I've got questions about whether or not God's going to show up for me mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and whether or not I'm enough, you might say, in, in God's uh, goodness and God's grace. And so I do think that I see that whenever I'm working with folks who have questions. And this gets back to what I think what Cassie was kind of hinting at with insecurity, shame, insecurity, yeah. where there's this sense of there's something m- missing in me. And so, but I find it in the approval of others. I yeah. find it when yeah. I'm finally on stage and yep. I get the applause. Yep. You know? Oh, that's yeah. where the narcissism, to go back to the earlier question, I think that's where the narcissism swells. Like, oh, I like that applause. So yes. I'm going to keep mm-hmm. going after that drug, mm-hmm. that dopamine mm-hmm. high. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. Dr. No, that's... no, no, no. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say no, that's no. exactly what happens. You, you get off the stage and yeah. you get those dopamine hits. Oh, pastor, that was such an amazing sermon. That was just yeah. the best sermon. It changed my life. And those little seeds that are planted over time become something. Go ahead, Cassie. No, it's so that's exactly like we're all saying the same thing. I think it's almost like in my mind, a Christian drug. You know, we, we would say to someone like that, if they found that dopamine hit through drugs or, or, you know, even getting drunk or other ways, we would be like, oh, my gosh. But it's one of these things that, oh, my gosh, I changed someone's life. I preached a good message. And look at my team. Yeah. They're amazing. My church is growing. This is so awesome. Like, because on paper and in visible ways, it looks good. You know, but just like someone who's addicted to exercise, which is possible, it's not healthy. Yeah. Because it's used yeah. as a crutch to um, keep you from the very thing that yeah. the Holy Spirit wants to take you to, which is typically finding the root of why you're feeling shame or feeling yeah. insecurity. Yeah. And so it's, um, but it's just such a palatable, almost like a slow process too. It's like the, you know, one time they say that coming off the stage and you kind of like it and then it, you know, it increases, increases and you almost need more and more and more as time moves forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's similar, you know, you'll hear the same thing from someone addicted to drugs, if you will, someone addicted to the applause or the stage. Like, I didn't, I don't know how I got here. Yeah. It's almost this sense of like, mm-hmm. this isn't even me. How did I, mm-hmm. how did I even get to this point? Um, and, and so it kind of, it kind of tugs you along and you don't even realize it's happening. Yeah. And, and uh, this is where, again, I have empathy at times when I sit with, I've sat with men mostly men who find themselves now confronted with uh, a debris field of damage um, that they've caused. And this sense mm-hmm. of like, I, I can't believe I've done this. I didn't wow. think, I thought I was uh, living for Jesus. I thought I was serving for good motives. And I didn't realize that I was missing people, hurting people, gaslighting people, yep. abusing people. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you, you get to the point of stature, so to speak, that at least from what I've witnessed, and you could speak to this, that uh, before you know it, the leader gets to a point where he's surrounded by yes people and nobody, nobody can challenge him anymore because the last time someone did, they got their legs cut out from under them or, or whatever the case may be. So now this leader is surrounded by people who won't challenge him or her um, ever. And so that just, you know, it, it compounds it even more. And then it becomes a really toxic environment of people that can't, they can't talk to their leader. Um, Is there anything to that? Is that, is that a part of this whole element? Yeah. I think that's a, significant part of it and i would go so far as to say he's terrified of people disagreeing with him wow. challenging him he, he may not use that language but when we get right down to it right down to the core stuff it's like i'm so scared you'll turn on me i'm so scared that this thing that i built will fall apart um i can't take i can't take you piercing my armor because i remember way way back to what that felt like and I felt so vulnerable then. I never, ever want to go there again. Wow. There's a significant difference between leaders who lead from a place of humility, who are willing to hear from others, and who are unafraid, you know, to get the pushback every now and then. It doesn't harm them. It doesn't hurt them. In fact, in fact, they say, tell me more, versus the narcissistic leader who says, go away. Wow. So so what, um, if I'm, if we're trying to identify in ourselves, narcissistic tendencies. Um, and maybe that's impossible. If that's impossible, you just tell me that yeah. I'm, I'm crazy and we can't see those things yeah. in ourselves. But I'm just trying to look at it from a Christ follower's perspective where we're called to examine ourselves before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Are there certain triggers? Are there things that maybe, maybe it is that maybe it's, I get, you know, I got, I feel this void and I got to go back to get my dopamine hit and we're yeah. looking for those triggers. Yeah. Are there triggers that we could be looking for? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I think it. Uh, one of the things I tried to do in writing the book was I tried to uh, shine a light on the different manifestations of narcissism. Yes. So, Talk about that uh, for a minute, please. You know, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a kind of a caricature of the narcissistic leader. Uh, he's big, he's brash, he's bullying, um, sometimes a charlatan. Think of a kind of typical politician type. What I wanted to do is I wanted to give people different uh, faces, different descriptions to say, hey, this comes in all different kinds of packages. It, it can come in the, the introverted, um, you know, associate staff member who is kind of whiny and self-sabotaging. And it's always about, you know, it seems like the focus always comes back around something's gone wrong for me or you're wow. doing something to me. And so there are these different faces of narcissism that we talk about. And I think uh, it, it, it's up to people to sort of pay attention to how this plays out in their lives. And one of the things I invite people to do is in relationship with others, honest relationship to ask, how do you experience me? Mm. And not just the good That's stuff, good. not just, wow, you're such a great leader, John. Yeah. Oh, the shadow side. You know, sometimes you can be kind of pushy. Yep. There are times when I, you know, I, I want to I bring up my opinion and you, you're kind of condescending. Sometimes wow. a bit passive aggressive. You shut me down. Um, one of the questions I've asked as a leader for the last 15 years, or I've invited for anyone who's worked for me, underneath me, pastoral ministry, whatever it is, is how do you experience me? And that's really a good. A student came to me before COVID um, last fall and said, "Chuck, you know, you, you're always talking about relationship and presence, and yet 
when you're around the seminary, it just seems like you make a beeline for your office, get yeah. coffee, and come back, and I can't mm, stop you. Mm, mm. Um, and you don't seem very present. Is it okay for me to say this to you? And I was uh, like, yes, it is. Please. Tell me more about how you experienced that. Yeah, just being open to feedback and giving those 360-degree reviews, you know, and being being right. being willing for people to – and give people permission, you know. You're not going to get in trouble. Tell me I'm tell me I'm horrible. <laughs> tell me something I do wrong. That's that's so good. Yeah. What about – what would you it say – specific. Yeah. What would you say to I – th- I think we probably have a lot of listeners who are, you know, having an epiphany of sorts in, in diagnosing some situations – not that any of our listeners are, you know, have the authority to diagnose anyone, but they're beginning to be able to put a name with something that they've been experiencing. And so, you know, we've been talking for a few minutes about how do we identify narcissism, you know, in ourselves, but I kind of want to shift and talk about the, the, the person who's working for a pastor or working for a leader, or, or maybe they're married to <laughs> someone who, who has this deficiency and, what would you say is the best way to approach a narcissist? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And Cassie, you jump in too here, but uh, (laughs) I'll take a stab at it first and and say that uh, I would say approach them after doing some work on your own. Uh, In other words, I I think that uh, there, there are folks who maybe become a, a bit aware of what's going on or they're offended by something someone does and they try to take a stab at sitting down with them, meeting with them one-on-one and giving them some feedback. And now suddenly they feel themselves on the outs or maybe they're dismissed or fired or, mm-hmm. and, and they ask themselves, mm-hmm. what happened? Uh, now for those who sit down with a therapist, for instance, and begin to process their experience, I find that that invites a much slower process of asking questions like, how is this impacting me? Um, how am I seeing this as a pattern over time? Uh, what's the role I play in it? Um, how have I reinforced it? What was I looking for? Mm-hmm. Um, how does, how is he, what are the specific ways that he has maybe abused or gaslit? And then coming up with a plan, and that plan might, in a ministry context, may mean inviting others into the conversation. It may mean uh, soliciting a conversation with a, another leader, a couple of leaders who could provide some accountability, whatever that might be, you're not doing it alone. It's not done reactively, but it's done with some good processing and reflection and discernment. That's good. Cassie, would you add anything to it? Well, I was just going to say, I think going back to what you were saying, Chuck, about um, them having a wound of their own and then building this as a defense strategy. Like you have to think if you go in kind of guns blazing, you know, first defense or a couple of fences say, Hey, listen, you know, you're doing this. And it's not, you know, you imagine their response, you know, if that's the whole defense that they've built this around to begin with is someone bullied yeah. them, someone belittled them, yeah. someone yeah. Yeah. did something right. to them. So you're going to come and you're going to trigger the very thing that caused them to be this way in the first place, and they're going to want to eliminate you in whatever form that is, you know, just because it's safety. It's human nature. That's really good. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, thank you for that, Kathy, because I think that shines a kind of a an even broader light on this. Um, and, and it, again, takes the conversation back to they're working out of a defense mechanism that's really old in them. And this probably has very little to do with you. Yep. It's just them putting up the shield and, and defending themselves. Yeah. Don't personalize it. 
when they do yeah. those things to you. So, so you, you were very careful in naming your book when narcissism comes to church. It wasn't just a book on narcissism. It was narcissism coming right. to the local church. And I, I know as yeah. a therapist, you've been exposed to narcissism on all fronts. Now I would assume, and I want you to speak to this. I would assume, and again, I'm assuming is, is narcissism more prevalent in the church because it brings a spiritual component into it where there can be not just yeah. verbal abuse, not just leadership abuse, but there can be spiritual abuse. Is this, is, is this a reason yeah. why you focused on the church? It is. Yeah. And, and when it comes to it being more prevalent in the church, that's still an open question. I think a number of us would say yes. I, I think we're still looking for really good quantitative data on yeah, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, would I say narcissists are attracted to ministry? Yes. Um, from my own assessment work over the years, um, by and large, um, the, 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 uh, the majority of candidates that I've assessed, pastors, church planners, leaders of all kinds, have been in um, uh, the cluster B category of personality <laughs> disorders, which is narcissism, histrionic personality, borderline, antisocial, narcissistic characteristics. And um, as a colleague of mine says, I mean, in some ways, uh, you know, when you have like 90% of the public don't like to speak in public, right? But you've got these few people who not only want to speak in public, but they want to speak on behalf of God, the Word of God. (laughs) That's kind of presumptuous, you know? They want to be ordained as masters of divinity, you know, reverend. Uh, you know, and so there's, there's this sense of not only do they have a platform, but now they have a spiritual platform, which is different than politics or Hollywood. It's, you're given a kind of credibility and that's scary, you know, but you're given a kind of credibility. And so a lot of people will say to me, well, how can I question him? I mean, he's been so successful and he's written a book and, um, and God said, right. Everything's led with God said, God said, yeah. How do you argue with that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it must be me. And, wow. and over and over again, people would say, I, it must be me. I must have done something wrong. Wow. Yeah. So, well, and we're taught to abide by the hierarchy that's established. You absolutely. Know, it's like, yeah. I think in us, we want to honor authority. I think we're built that way. But then when authority becomes abusive is when it becomes convoluted. Because, you know, you're saying, like, I want to honor them, but wow, that feels not okay to me. What? Yes, yes. It doesn't feel like an authority that is inviting, a leader that's mm-hmm. inviting you in, but demanding, right? Yeah. Um, and and, and uh, people can feel it. I find that, you know, those who've experienced it, um, it takes a little while, but they, the, as they get in touch with their palpable experience of like um, uh, what happens in their body, uh, we call this trauma, you know, the mm-hmm. anxiety that they feel when they come into the orbit of this leader. Uh, the symptoms that they begin to experience, you know, wow. I'm not sleeping well, I'm drinking too much, I'm over, what is this all about? You know, they'll come to you, I'll find that people might come to me, and they'll just say, I want to talk about depression, and we will track this all the way back to them being in an abusive relationship, or marriage, wow. or in a church, you know, and so, uh, and, and uh, so, uh, the, there's a great book called, you probably know it, The Body Keeps the Score, mm-hmm. and our bodies often tell us that truth about the, the reality that we are in an abusive situation. That's, that's really important. I, I, I don't know what question to ask, but I think we should talk about that of, of just the, the person that's being abused. Um, 
how to how to how to track down what's happening and to know that the, yeah. what's what's happening in that situation and how to diagnose that and how to maybe it is just going to get help maybe going to get a therapist having somebody that you can process yeah. it through with and get down to the core of that um that's so yeah. important is there anything else on that topic i don't even know what question to ask is anything coming to you guys on uh-huh. that? i think the question that maybe you're you're asking there is what specifics can you give like direct specifics for someone who would maybe potentially feel like they're under an narcissist yeah, like what do you suggest they do like yeah. you know what steps or what things could you give in a bullet form yeah can it be healed yeah. or should i just jump ship and go away yeah well you know for the person who's under under an abusive or narcissistic leader narcissistic relationship of some kind here again you've got to attend to how it's impacting you first i mean you you really, it, it's to put the oxygen on your face before you help another, you know? That's good. Um, I, can't, I can't get out if I'm suffocating. And folks who are in relationships, uh, situations, vocations like this are often, um, are often uh, sort of in coping mechanisms that can be really painful or problematic. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was working with someone recently who was very disassociative and would like to, she would go to work. And it would be like she would tune out, you know, if you go out of body. And and yet she was taking all this abuse from her ministry leader boss. This was a Christian organization. And we had to kind of get her back in touch with her body before she could even decide, this is what I want to do. And when she got back in touch with, like, this hurt, ouch, you know, she decided, you know, in terms of the steps now, she decided, I need to go. I need to leave. Some people will discern. Um as was the case in a very public situation up at Willow Creek Church. Yeah, yeah. Some some women there discern that we together will confront this more publicly. Yeah. And and you might go that route. There are any number of different pathways to take. That just requires a lot of discernment. And you always want to do that with other Christians who get this in community. Do you think it's more prevalent? Yeah. Do you think it's more prevalent whenever the person that's being wounded by the wounder um uh has a wounded past of their own. Does that make sense? Where hurt, yeah. hurt people hurting hurt people is worse. And if, if somebody's being under, under a narcissist, but they have a, a good identity, they know who they are in Christ, they don't have any baggage, they don't have any wounds from their past, are they able to cope with it better? Do you ever see that in, in play? I do, because I think that there's, there's a greater resilience. I think they're more aware, or they tend to be more aware when something's off, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and I'll, I will find often that, that uh, people who are find themselves really intertwined in narcissistic relationships, they're being abused in some way or another, they'll often trace something back to their own woundedness, their own pain, their own abuse story, like, ah, I didn't see it again. And I would even say in my own story that I found myself repeatedly in situations where I've been under narcissistic leadership, and I haven't seen it as clearly at first as I should have. And that's due in part to a much longer story that I, I, I don't need to tell now, but there's a, there's a kind of, um, there's a kind of work that I'm continuing to do even in my own life. And so I'm saying this out loud, by the way, to your listeners who are like, wow, but you know, maybe I could finally get to a place like Kathy or John or Chuck where I, I'd be able to spot this right away. And what I want to say is it's really hard, even if yeah. you've done a yeah, lot of work so in your good. own life. Yeah. Um, if you've got wounds, if you've got pain, I mean, 
followers of narcissistic leaders idealize them. We, mm. we all want someone on earth. This is as old as, you know, the Old Testament, right? Uh, give, me, give me a Moses. Give me a golden calf. Give me someone. Give me a king wow. that I can touch. Mm-hmm. You know, someone mm-hmm. that I can see that represents God right here and right now. Wow. Give me that megachurch pastor who represents God yeah. in the here and now. So we idealize. It's a very human, um, it's a very human uh, disposition, I guess you'd say. Wow. That's so good. I, I, you know, I have a random question that I've always wondered. Does the narcissist know that they're a narcissist? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know I'll that's a random again, question. I've just always first. wondered. Yeah. I, I'll be curious to hear what Cassie says about this. I, I would say that someone who is pathologically, nar- diagnosably narcissistic personality disorder, in other words, they are elevated on that spectrum, are, are not... Uh, they fundamentally lack self-awareness. And so mm-hmm. they will be the mm-hmm. most defended. Whereas someone who maybe struggles with a bit of narcissism, they're maybe elevated a bit there. Uh, as, as a number of people are who've reached out to me, by the way, over the last six months, um, but but who are humble and who are more self-aware, yeah. they'll say, hey, wow, a lot of this stuff is really resonating with me. And I think I see myself, by the way, in that, you know, that type one that you mentioned in the book, Under the Nine Faces. Yep. Yep. And um, I think I need to. I, I need. I think I need to do some work around this. What do you suggest? I don't think that that person is diagnosably narcissistic right. personality disorder, right. unless with one caveat, there are. Um, I have come across and I, I use the word vulnerability in this book. Fake vulnerability. <laughs> there, are, there are people. They know psychological language and they can get you yeah. in it. And they'll yeah. come to you and they'll say, "Well, I can find Myers Briggs and I know my Enneagram and I know my this yep. and that." You know, and I just want to be humble, Chuck. And it's uh, BS, as we say in the North. Um, <laughs> I, sure you it's, can. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. <laughs> wow. That's so good. So, you know, Cassie, I'm going to begin to land the plane here. And so if you've had a question that you've been burning to ask, now's the time. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I do. I, I do have one question. I mean, just kind of along those terms of what you're saying. Because I think even in the book, you talk about the story about the couple that comes to you and they really want you that, to make that pastor, you know, just approve him, yeah. tell us he's great. And then, yeah. you know, the yeah. reality is you can't do that because you find yeah. that he's able to speak to speak and do the do the things to kind of, but he's not really there. And I think, so it leads me to, you mentioned in the book, and just what I know overall, is that you've developed an assessment, I think, and I would just love for you to speak to that, because I think that could be a tool for pastors to use and people in ministry to use or um, engage with that might help them and their teams to be healthier. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about the assessment work that I do and kind of what do I do with that? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so um, so the, the specific tool that I found most helpful in, in assessing for narcissism is called the Milan Clinical Multiaxial Inventory. There are other inventories like this. There are other tests of personality disorders, but the Milan, the MCMI-4, is a particularly good tool in, in the sense that it, um, it gets at some other, it, it puts every person on a spectrum and it gets at some other categories that I they're beyond the scope of this conversation that I find helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, a test is a test, and a test is, is um, only good insofar as it serves a larger conversation. And yeah. uh, what I, you know, the, the story that you mentioned was a church planting assessment where you're with 
couples generally for a few days. And so you're observing. So I'm taking lots of data. Uh, there are lots of data points along the way. So I, I, I get a personality test like Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, any of that kind of stuff. I have my MCMI, but then I'm doing a lot of observation and interviewing. And so I'm interviewing the spouse, uh, trying to get a sense of what their marriage relationship is like. And in the case that you mentioned, I mean, th- there was an adoration for this particular guy. He'd already raised a lot of money. They just thought he looked the part, dressed the part, had the perfect wife, and it was kind of a Ken and Barbie scenario, you know, that it just <laughs> made me want to throw up. And um, as I'm observing, I'm seeing condescension. I'm seeing passive aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of entitlement. I'm seeing I want to go first. Let me show you how it's done. Uh, coronate me. And there was a real disconnect because – what I saw as features of significant features of narcissism, they saw as confidence. Wow. And um, so, I, yes, I've got a particular assessment process. Uh, it's, you know, I give my feedback. Others have their feedback, right? And, and we kind of see where, where it goes. And, I, you know, it's, I'm sure you have stories to tell too, Cassie, but it's amazing sometimes for me. I can be looking at the same thing as someone else and come to a very different conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah based on my own clinical experience and understanding of narcissism. That's yeah. really good. So, okay, so just to just to sum up what you said in one sentence, yeah. is pastors need a therapist. Yes. It's <laughs> really good. what I hear. You know what I mean? Like because, yeah. I, mean, yeah. you get into I agree. Assessments and you get into all the clinical things, but it's the fact is what you're saying is a more global conversation yeah. allows yeah. a therapist or someone that has an authority to speak into your life, to mentor you, to really speak yeah. into your life, to say to you, hey, Joe, hey, Sue, you are, ooh, that's a little that's a little off. We might need to talk through yeah. that. And then yeah. they yeah. could give you yeah. an assessment and talk you through that. So I think... That's one thing I'm an advocate for is everyone needs a therapist, specifically yeah, why, in leadership I mean, and in ministry. Why wouldn't we? I mean, I think the difficulty for a lot of pastors and leaders is we don't we don't know how to open up to people that serve under us. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That can be a challenge to be vulnerable to people that are that serve under you. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it can be a challenge. Whereas a therapist is a is more of a peer to peer. I'm having a conversation with somebody, and the mm-hmm. good thing is, is there's the client privilege. They can't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she can tell them anything you want. I mean, but yeah, I think every leader needs somebody that can look them in the face and say you're wrong. You're just wrong, yeah. and you're not you're not right. Yeah. And that's probably yeah. the biggest yeah. problem for most leaders is we don't have anybody that can look us in the face and say you're dead wrong. Right. Um, right. Without right. without being worried about any consequences. Yeah. Or as I said to a pastor two hours ago, you're just very ordinary. And wow. that's, that's a compliment. Yeah, who's ever going to tell is, their boss know, that? Mean, yeah. I, I, yeah, right? But I think there's something to say sometimes. For just like you're, you're, you're leading a very ordinary life. And that's yeah. a good thing. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. That's really good. You don't good. have to be the best, most special, the greatest, the biggest. You know, and I do think that there's this sense of, especially with social media today, endless comparison. He's written books. She's yes. got the followers. They've got right. the, whatever it is. Right. And, um, yeah, sometimes I, I have to remind myself, Chuck, um, you're ordinary. This book is ordinary, uh, flawed. This podcast is flawed. So like, I, yeah. I think we all did so long. Yeah. Um, you know, I know I, I have a deep ache, deep hunger, uh, 
to, to be seen, to be known, you yeah. know, and that can go in directions that are really dangerous, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I just got to be aware. Yeah. So not only do we have narcissist narcissism in the church, but there's a culture of up and coming ministers that aspire to be narcissists because that's what we're looking at as the, you know, I, that's where I want to get someday. You're talking about social media and the comparison and we compare ourselves to other pastors. And many times the people we're comparing ourselves to might be narcissists. So now I'm aspiring to become one, <laughs> which seems yeah. just preposterous, right? It seems, it sounds crazy. Yeah. So, you and know, then that message of deficiency is always there, right? Yeah. And that's, that's where it began in the garden story. Wow. You know, the serpent mm-hmm. slithering up, mm-hmm. whispering, Surely God is holding out on you. You know, yeah. there's so much more available to you than God is. And that wow. whisper of deficiency in our ears, that's so powerful. It's so good, so good. Uh, Chuck. And I, I just want to thank you for coming on again. It, it means so much. And uh, I want to give yeah. you one last chance here to, to say just a few more words. But I want to tell all of, all of our listeners, listen, you you really need to get this book. Um, if, yeah. if it's even for yourself to, to analyze and, and focus on yourself, uh, if you're in audio, you can get it on audio. Um, if you want to read it, you can purchase it on Amazon, I'm sure. Chuck, what's the best way to, for them to get in touch with you? On so, can they follow you on social media? Yeah. Are you on social media? Where can they get the book? Just kind of give us that kind of rundown. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the I'm on social media at Chuck DeGroat. Um, and, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, uh, you know, just because I need people to compare myself to. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll get on, I'll get on Instagram here in just a little bit and follow you and we can compare each yeah. other and, and yeah, be right. insecure. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've got a website, uh, chuckdegroat.net, um, where I do a little bit of blogging every now and then, and I've got some other resources, not a whole lot, but yeah. That's so great. I teach up at Western Theological Seminary in, in Michigan. So, you know, if you're, uh, want to come up here and give me a hand shoveling we could have a free counseling session. <laughs> that's a good a free counseling session for shovels that's not a bad not a bad idea <laughs> so give us two or three takeaways you know you know the our listeners that are going to go out and get your book and read it what are two or three things you really hope they get out of it oh wow well so one and i discovered this well into my writing uh but it was an aha moment uh, one is you're not crazy and I think for so many people who are in the orbit of a narcissistic leader, there's a sense that there's something wrong with me or I'm crazy. And um, sometimes it's, I, I just need to say, you're not crazy. I think wow. this is real. I think you're onto something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's one. I think another one, and, and this is going to be like, duh, but um, you're limited. Uh, I'm limited. Mm. I, I love, I think I talk about it in the book. I, I love uh, the season of Lent. I love Ash Wednesday because I love to be reminded that we're dust and to dust we shall return. And that's good news. We're yeah. beloved dust. Um, I don't <laughs> need to be extraordinary. You don't need to be extraordinary. Um, God uses us in our vulnerability and in our weakness and in our limitation and in our ordinariness. And so, uh, and I think that that's, that's, that's good news. If we can uh, if we can get back to that, I know that there's a lot mitigating against that, especially with this culture of narcissism that we're living in. But if we can, if we can sort of raise again the uh, the kind of dignity of, of the pastoral call and vocation as one that is very ordinary, like the the guy I talked to a couple of uh, hours ago who I mentioned, who's pastoring a congregation of forty and feels like it's not enough wow. to to, mm-hmm. to realize in a sense that. Oh, what a beautiful 
call location opportunity you have to care for them. And uh, so those are a couple of things. I'm sure I could say a whole lot more. That's but, really uh, good. I'm, I'm really grateful. You, you both asked lots of really good questions, and I want to get to know you more now. Yeah, well, <laughs> I plan on following you on social media here in a minute, so we, we can connect. I would love that. Dr. Reed, thank you for joining us. You're always brilliant. You're always awesome. And um, so honored oh, that you're honored. On, on faculty here. Appreciate you so much. And uh, Dr. DeGroote, thank you again for coming on. Um, I feel like we're friends now. Maybe maybe I should just make you my therapist. Yep. That's what I should do. You, that's how we can get to know each other. I think I'm shovel for me. That's right. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. To all of our listeners, thank yeah. you. For, whether you're a leader in the local church or in ministry or in the marketplace, um, we pray that this uh, podcast blesses you and encourages you and challenges you. And thank you for listening. We're praying for you and all of the work you're doing for the kingdom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Church Intention Podcast. For more information, visit churchintention.com. The King's University is an accredited, spirit-empowered evangelical university in Southlake, Texas. To learn more, visit tku.edu.